Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at A couple months ago, my wife and I, my wife started a garden and uh, she actually, I'll just kind of give context here. So she had two different gardens. She kind of had a starter garden and then she had like a, a bigger garden. So one day she came to me and she's like, Chris, I need, I need your wisdom. I'm like, yeah, of course, right? I'm an expert in horticulture. Uh, so yeah, we... We went searching, trying to find answers, right? Applying the, the powers of logic and deduction, trying to figure out what was going on with the garden. There was one, this big garden, it just wasn't thriving. It was withered. Uh, we weren't sure what it was. This other garden, it was, it was thriving. It was flourishing. So we, we, we looked at like blight and disease and trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't disease. We actually had a raccoon that came in and tried to steal our, um, I think it was lavender, but I handled the business. Can I get an amen? Because I'm a farmer and that's what farmers do, you know? <laughs> wow. Um, so I took care of that raccoon, but we finally came to the conclusion, and this is what I love about my wife. She's, she's just an expert on all of this stuff, that the problem with the two gardens, and the one in particular that wasn't thriving, it was not the seed. It was the soil. We realized one soil it was dense, it was muddy, uh, there was something funky, uh, there was something wrong with it. The other soil, there was life, it was less dense, there was nutrients in it, and that's why the seed was able to germinate, and that's why it was able to produce and grow and thrive and, and flourish. And so when we come to this parable about Jesus, as Jesus is teaching us this parable on the life of the kingdom of God, he is talking about soil. And I'm going to get to that point here really quick. Before I do that, how many of you love a good old burger? I'm like, I'm, I'm like a juicy burger. Have you, ever been to a, have you ever been to a restaurant where you feel like heaven, you're in, at the intersection of heaven and earth? You're biting into. Here's the thing: with um, if if you're a vegan here, we love you, but we would ask you to leave this. I'm teasing. But when you when it comes to meat, please don't overcook your meat. Can I get an amen to that, Scott? Do you, are you are you in agreement with that? All right. If you have a steak, medium rare, people. All right. If you're a medium or if you're a well done person, bye bye. Okay. We will pray for you. Um, but no, I, like I, I've been in a moment where I've had like a big juicy burger and it's been delicious. And I, I love eggs on my burger, right? Not the yellow eggs, but the orange, right? The over easy, it just like, it just drenches your burger. I love it. I've been, if you've, if you've been there like with me in a s similar situation, 
I, I, I don't know. I just like to trace the ecology of food back to its source. And so I'll be thinking about, okay, where did this delicious burger come from? The reason why I'm talking about that is because there's a famous farmer philosopher. His name is Wendell Berry. He's the one who popularized from farm to table. And he's the one that really introduced the American um, consciousness, this idea of tracing the ecology of food from the restaurant back to its source. And these are his profound words. He says this, the first settlers in America recognized the agricultural potential of the soil. In other words, the quality and the depth of the soil is what made America exceptional. It's what made America prosperous, not just his political genius, not just laissez-faire economics. It was in particular the soil, the density or the, new, um, the depth and the quality of the soil. And when we come to Jesus in our passage here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is announcing the dramatic arrival of the kingdom of God. And what he does is he's talking about the rule of God over creation. He's talking about how God, through his public ministry, is not just saving souls for heaven. Jesus, through his ministry, is rescuing creation itself, rescuing bodies, rescuing, rescue, rescuing, I'll try to talk this morning, but rescuing whole people for the life of the kingdom of God. And so what he does in Mark chapter 4 is he sits down the people and he explains, okay, what's this life? in the kingdom of God about? How do, we, how do we negotiate the rule of God in time and space with relationships, with our own bodies, and with other people? So Jesus sits down and he describes to these people a farmer planting and sowing seed on four different kinds of soil. You have the pathway, you have the rocky soil, you have the thorny soil, and then you have the good soil. So my First observational point that I want to make here today. And when you're reading the Bible, how many of you love to read the Bible? Yes, About 15 of you. Okay. When you're reading the Bible, here's, here's a really good, important, this is a very important point. The more you observe the text, the less you have to interpret. So when, when you're reading scripture, ask questions. Like, what's going on? And one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is Jesus is telling this parable as he describes the life of the kingdom of God is you have to ask, okay, what's the problem? What's going on here? And Jesus makes it very clear that three-fourths of the soil is lacking the quality and the depth in order for the kingdom of God to take root and to flourish in the human heart. So my point is, the problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. For example, a couple of weeks ago, my, my wife and I, we were on the front row. And uh, we were kind of, we were talking back and forth. And she looked at me and she goes, did you feel that? I'm like, no. And she's the spiritual one in our relationship. She's like, she's like, God is here in this place. I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> oh, crap. All right. What are we doing? In my defense, I had 103 fever, right? I was hallucinating, thinking about unicorns or whatever. But anyways, right? The point that I want to illustrate is that, isn't it funny how you can be, you can have two different people in the same environment, and they experience what's going on in that environment in two different ways. Have you... Really quick, have you ever read your Bible before? About five of you here in the room, okay? You read your Bible, and maybe you've read a passage over and over and over and over again, maybe 20, 25 times. And like, oh yeah, that's nice. 
And then one day, you're like, dang. What? This is amazing. You start telling everybody. You finally believe that God's real, you know? And you just, God's speaking to your heart. What's going on in that moment? I like to make the point, yes, I think God is giving you insight about you, about maybe relationships, maybe about your soul, maybe about something in the past, maybe about the emotional script or whatever that you were uh, dealing with, trafficking in, and God's setting you free. But I think most of the time, the reason why you're like, dang, this is good, is because the last 20 times you weren't prepared to receive what God was saying to you, right? The soil, please hear me today. The soil matters. The soil, the condition of your heart matters in the life of the kingdom of God. Your capacity to receive God and his kingdom is really important to Jesus. Like, like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard in a service where we're like, we're talking about how forgiveness unlocks freedom. How many of you would agree with that? Right? Like, man, man, if you, if you want to be a kingdom of God person, you have to learn the art of forgiving. And we talk about being stuck in a cycle of resentment and how that's spiritual devastation. Like, if, if you have roots of bitterness in your heart, that, that severely limits your capacity to receive from God. This isn't because God's mad at you. This is just how God has structured reality, that we are called to forgive, that we are relational creatures, and that God is reflecting his love and wisdom through us, and we are called and we are summoned to reflect who God is in our relationships. But I can't tell you how many times that I've heard stuff like that, and I've been dealing with like maybe some maybe low-grade bitterness and some resentment. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that sounds good. And I hear the preacher preaching it, and I'm like, okay, what are we going to have for lunch today? It never happens at this church. I've heard it happens at other churches, right? We're always so focused, you know? But how, okay, let's be honest. How many times have we come into a setting like this? Or maybe how many times Monday through Friday we've come into the very presence of God as we read scripture in prayer, and we're like, okay, oh, we get distracted. And we're like, okay, how many touchdowns is Dak Prescott going to throw on Sunday? Right? We get distracted easily. And God is speaking, please hear me, God is speaking all the time. Let me say this really quick. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think this is important for us to understand. I think so many times we can't hear the voice of God or our capacity to receive God's voice is severely limited because we haven't obeyed what God spoke to us a month before or 30 days before, or a year before. It might be the case that some of us here today, God has already spoken to you. And you might be confused. You're like, God, speak to me. And God's shouting back to you, I did. He thankfully, he doesn't speak like that, right? As a, as a gentle, generous father, he comes to us and says, hey, hey, before I can give you more revelation, you got to be faithful with the revelation that I already gave you. You got to put into practice 
what I spoke to you about that relationship, about your spouse. Because I think there's some people here today, it's, it's, it's interesting, Jesus, when he announced and launched the kingdom of heaven, what did he say? He said, trust me and repent. Repent is just a Greek word, it's metanoia, it means to go beyond the mind that you have. Guys, repentance is not you coming up to the altar and saying, I gotta get religion, I gotta get rid of the smokes. Stop chewing tobacco, right? Please stop chewing tobacco because that might mess you up, right? No? Okay, let's move on. But usually we think of just externals. We'll go to the altar, we'll get rid of all this stuff, and I think that's really important. But repentance at the heart of it is not you changing your life. It's you aligning your mind to the values of the kingdom of God. It's learning to trust God. It's learning to go beyond the mind that you have. And I think there's some of us here today, we have a mindset that we think is absolutely right on. That it corresponds 100% to reality. Chris, you don't know my spouse. Chris, you don't know my children. Right? I got 7,000 of them, so I pretty much know all of them and their personalities. But you don't know what I'm going through. I, yes, totally. And, and we want to be compassionate. And obviously we want to... Uh, be sensitive to those issues, but I think so many times we're stuck in a wrong, wrong mindset. Jesus comes to us and he calls us out yes, exactly. of unreality yeah, and what we call truth and what God calls a lie. Wow. The condition of your heart, in other words, matters so much. We come to verse, verses 11 to 13, and Jesus explains why he teaches in parables. He says in verse, verse 10 through 13, I'm just going to read this really quick. And when he was alone, he spoke to the crowds, and now he's sitting down with his disciples, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Everyone would say the secret. The secret. secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And then he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Two things I want to talk about when it comes to the seed is not the problem, the soil is. Number one, Jesus is quoting a passage out of Isaiah, and he is not suggesting that he's deliberately obscuring the truth. He is rather saying that the condition of the heart of the people has grown so dull that it no longer has the capacity to receive the life of the kingdom of God. The problem is not the seed. The problem is the soil. And then he continues and says in verse 13, as I read, that, the, that this parable about the sower and the four types of soil is the most important parable. Like what? Wow. It's more important than the good Samaritan? The prodigal son? The lost sheep? Yes, because this parable is a cipher for the rest of the parables of Jesus. In other words, when we understand this parable, it unlocks the meaning of every other parable of Jesus. 
please hear me today. Jesus is subverting the conventional framework for how God would rescue the planet as he announces the kingdom of God. He is healing the sick. Can I get an amen? He is welcoming the sinner. He is, he is forgiving those who are his enemies. And he's giving his life. He's going all the way to the cross on behalf of us. In the first century Palestinian world, that would have been anathema. God was supposed to come and annihilate all the pagans and establish the temple and sanction the way of life of God's people. Jesus is subverting all the expectations of God's people. And this is why Jesus is speaking in parables, because he wants to spark curiosity. He's speaking to the imagination. Because he knows that our minds are upside down when it comes to what God wants to do. Not just out there, but what God wants to do inside of us. Guys, please hear me. This is one of the most important things. When you're in church for a long time, if you're not careful, you, you develop and form these expectations that God should do this and this and this. And then you keep on doing it. And yet so many times, because God's not us, can I get an amen to that? Because he's not us. He does ways, excuse me, he does things in such a way that if we're not careful, we can miss it and we can miss the life that God has for us because we expect God to do what we thought he was supposed to do on our timetable and according to our expectations. And yet Jesus subverts the conventional ways of how God's kingdom was supposed to to come and he tells stories to nudge us into his truth. So this observational point is really, it's just really simple. Are you guys still with me? Jesus really thinks, please hear me, who you are matters. How you respond, your willingness and receptivity to the life of the kingdom, your depth and quality of your spiritual life, your desire to cultivate the life of the kingdom. Guys, that is important. Yeah. The soil of your heart is to be cultivated so that the kingdom of God is not choked out by the distractions of life. Now, what I'm, I'm not, guys, I'm not talking about you have to be perfect. I'm not saying, oh man, if you mess up, right, you decide to cheer for the Raiders, God's gonna curse you. Right? What I'm not doing is smuggling backdoor this kind of this works righteousness mindset. Please hear me. We call this a religious spirit. A religious spirit is a counterfeit. It's parasitic. It's a knockoff of Christianity. And what it does, it takes your performance and uses it to attack your identity. So when you make a mistake, how many of you made a mistake this, this week? 25 of you. Right? You made, okay. How many of you sinned this week? I'm raising my hand. Come on, right? We all did it, right? And what, what the religious spirit does when your performance doesn't line up to the kind of person who God's called you to be, it comes and uses that performance not just to attack you. It uses that performance to attack your sense of identity. So it will say something like this. Well, because you did that, you're no longer welcomed. Because you did such and such, you're worthless. You're no longer beloved. The religious spirit goes after 
your identity. It's parasitic. It presents this counterfeit religion. It wants to mimic what God actually does, but bring you into bondage. You see what the Holy Spirit does? He will come and bring correction to your life. Can I get an amen? See, how, how many of you have been corrected by the Holy Spirit before? You've been corrected, you've been confronted, you've been rebuked, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts really bad. But this is the strange thing. It also feels really good. You're like, dang, I'm so glad I'm not living in resentment, in that cycle of immaturity. And when God comes to you, you're like, okay, Chris, or so-and-so, John, Shane, whatever, you need help, you need to turn this around. The Holy Spirit comes and affirms that you are a son and daughter of the King. You see, we, we say this all the time, and I think it's so important for, for us to keep this in the back of our mind. God always comes and meets us where we're at. Always. We call this the U-shaped drama of the Bible. God descends, and he meets you in your brokenness, in your sin, in your trauma, in your destitution, and then what does he do? He doesn't leave you there. He pulls you up out of it. But as the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to you correction, he also brings life. I, I was just told a couple weeks ago, my daughter, Waverly, she's three years old, and she, she's either going to bring life to this world or destroy it. <laughs> We're not sure. She is, she is unique. I love her. She has a mind of her own. She's like her mama. Okay. Um, so one day she was, I don't remember all the details. Lindsay was, kind of saw all of this. She was uh, doing something to her brothers. And so her brothers were complaining. And so Lindsay sat her down and said, okay, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be kind or do you want to be mean? She looked at Lindsay. She kind of just paused. And then in a demonic voice, he goes, I want to be mean. I'm like, babe, do we need to do an exorcism on our youngest or one of our young, you know? Um, here's the thing. We had a conversation with her and we love our three-year-old, but here's the thing. We never once thought about kicking her out of our home. Some of you are like, that's obvious, Chris. Yeah. But we, but we don't think that way in our relationship with our father, right? We sat her down. We corrected her. We did not say, okay, it's, you're going to be a grove. We can't handle this. We're sending you to the groves, right? You're no longer a wild. Right? No, and this is the same. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he brings life and he affirms us and he challenges us and he corrects us. Guys, if you're not being corrected on a monthly basis, I have to wonder if you're following Jesus. And let me say this in addition. I think, again, the soil of our heart is so important. Remember, the seed is not the problem. The soil is. If you're, there's no judgment in what I'm about to say, but if your emotional world is so upside down, that says everything about your spiritual maturity. See, I could come up here and preach the hell out of everybody. I could come and string sentences together and make things really complicated or simple or whatever, right? I can use rhetorical things to manipulate us and then go home and scream and yell at my kids. I don't do any of that, all right? Some of you are like, does he do that? No, I don't. I can do that. What does that say about me? That says that I'm spiritually immature. Yeah, exactly. 
right? Your emotional health, the condition of your heart is so radically important in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen to that? So here's the thing. Are you the kind of person, and this is why I think Jesus teaches in parables, are you the kind of person that leans in or withdraws? Because sometimes, remember, Jesus doesn't always conform to our expectations. So when you're confounded by life, I don't know why I'm doing this, but just go with it. You know? like, let's fight. I'm, I don't want to fight. But when you're confounded, you're going through troubles. Please listen to me. Right? So many people, when they're going through hard times, they withdraw. They pull away. When Jesus doesn't make sense, like I thought I was supposed to be here at the age of 28, and God, I, where, where are you, right? What kind of person are you? I think this is the point of the parables. Are you a person that leans in? Are you a person that has faith, and even though you don't understand everything, you're seeking understanding? Are you the kind of person that wants to grow in your relationship with Christ no matter what is going on? See, we have the promise here that even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, he is with us. That God is, guys, God, and I'm going to get to my point here really quick, but God, my second point, but God does not scrimp. God is a generous father, and he is speaking to us every single day. He doesn't just speak to us on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He is giving us the life of the kingdom. He is a good, generous father. But are you the kind of person that leans in even when Jesus doesn't make sense? You remember John chapter 6? I've been reading through the, the Gospel of John this week. And um, Jesus, he metaphorizes the kingdom of God. He says, if you don't, he looks to all his disciples. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be a part of me. All the disciples, almost all the disciples say, hey, Jesus, you're pretty amazing, but I'm out. They all leave except for Peter and the, and the other 11. And Jesus turns to Pete. He goes, Pete, what do you think? He's like, you're crazy. I don't know what you're trying to say, but with you, you have the words of life. That's what Jesus is looking for. Sometimes, I, I got to say this, sometimes Jesus will not, most of the time, Jesus will not show you everything. Number one, you can't handle it. But number two, he wants to see where your heart is. He won't show you everything. He'll give you just enough that you can live on. Give us this day our daily bread. He'll give you a little bit of revelation. And he'll see if you're willing to lean in and trust in that revelation. And then when he sees that you, can, that, that, that you are trusting him for some of the little things, he'll give you more. And then he'll give you more. And then he'll give you more. This is what I love, Psalm 119. Are you guys still with me? Psalm 119 says, your word is a light into my path, a lamp, a light into my, whatever, a light and a lamp, yeah. right, to my path. It's not this bonfire that shows you everything in the night sky. It's a light that shows you just enough in front of you. The question that I want to ask you, are you a person that even though things are confounding and things are frustrating and things don't always make sense, are you willing to trust that little light that... God shows you? Are you willing to put into practice? Are you willing to say, God, you, what are you doing? But I trust you. Or you're a person that withdraws, right? 
I want to be the person. I want our church to be some, a, a collective body that leans in no matter what and believes that, guys, this fall, God is going to do extraordinary things. Can we believe that God is going to save thousands of people? Yes. Or we're going to see baptisms in unusual ways. That our families and marriages are going to be transformed. That as a community, we're going to see breakthrough in our city. I believe that. And yet, God will not always conform to our expectations. Are we willing to push through? Are we willing to fight the good fight of faith, even when things don't make sense? I, uh, I remember I was the first phone call to my wife before we were married. We were date. We hadn't. Even, we weren't even dating. Just met her. Met her at a conference, and I'm like, "This girl is absolutely amazing." She lived in Seattle, and I lived here. I came back here. I decided to call her. I was shaking. I was so scared. I get on the phone. And I say, hey, I didn't want to be that weird, dirty youth pastor, okay? So she was at another youth church, and she was um, at a, a, a part of another thriving church. And so um, I, I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to do it the right way. So, But anyways, I call her, and guys, it was the worst phone call of my life. <laughs> I talked in personal pronouns and verbs. Me, Chris, you, Kelly, date? You know what I mean? It's like... I swear, it was awful. I was like a Neanderthal. And I hung up on her. It was so bad, I hung up on her. I panicked. I hung up on her. That whole night, I, I thought, it's over. It's over. I was so confused. She was confused. She's like, this guy's a weirdo. I thought he was good with words. He sucks, you know. Um, and then I remember the next morning, I'm like, okay, I, 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 want, I, I know she's supposed to be my wife. And I remember I sent an email. I'm better, I guess I'm a better writer than a communicator. <laughs> and I wrote something magical. Like I used 19th century poetry or something. <laughs> I was leaning in. I was so confused. I'm like, she's, she hates me. But I was so in love with her that I was willing to break through the ice and the confusion because I just wanted to be with Kelly. Are we the same way with God? I just think, I, I, I didn't share this for service, but I think so many times we just give up so easily. God gave me a promise in 1967 or 99 or 2011 or whatever, right? God speaks to us. And sometimes if we're not careful, as Shane even mentioned earlier, our hearts get crusty and we become skeptical, right? And then we're like, oh, I heard that message before 15 times, right? What else do you have for me preach? What else, right? Come on, entertain me. We are called to go beyond that mindset. We're called to lean in, wait on the Holy Spirit, and trust him. Second, really quick as I close, I'm almost done. Second observation with this parable. And when you look at parables, if you like to read your Bible, you have to ask yourself the question, is this typical or atypical? Typical or atypical? So when we look at the farmer, the farmer is throwing seed everywhere, right? The pathway, there's four different types of soil. He's throwing it everywhere. So we have to ask ourselves, is this typically how a first century Palestinian farmer would plant a crop, right? And so the answer decidedly would be no. Yeah. 
right? It's a bad farmer who would just indiscriminately throw seeds on all different kinds of soil, right? Farming doesn't work this way. Like if you were today to go in, into your backyard and you were gardening and you decided to throw seed everywhere, like grow, seed, grow, right? And you do that for an hour. You don't cultivate the soil. You're just like, ah, just whatever, seed. We would probably have to come over and get you a therapist. Why? Because that's not how farming works. Farming doesn't function like this. So this parable is not a typical depiction of farming. It's an atypical depiction. What it describes is not a wasteful farmer. It describes, please hear me. This is so important for us today. It describes a generous father. Wow. Jesus is sowing seed, the, the seed of the kingdom on all different kinds of soil. Mm. Think about that. Put that in your theological pipe. Don't smoke it. Just think about it, right? What, what's going on here? Please, please hear me. This is a description of the radical nature of generosity found in the kingdom of God. The Father is not wasting the seed. He is sowing the seed. He's giving everybody a shot. He's giving everybody a chance. He's sowing seed in hard-hearted people, in broken people, in sinful people. And people don't have their lives together. People are emotionally upside down. People that are messed up in their mind, in their bodies. Jesus is sowing. Please understand this. Jesus is sowing the kingdom. The kingdom of God has arrived in unexpected ways. And it's being sown and planted in all types of people. Hard people. Shallow people. Thorny people. Even good soil. It doesn't matter. Jesus is giving everybody a chance. This is the astonishing generosity of the kingdom of God. God doesn't just speak on a Sunday through a redhead and through our worship team and through prophetic words. God is speaking to us as a collective body throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And, and, and it might be the 35th time that he's spoken to you about this specific issue, but he's still speaking. And he loves you with an everlasting love. Like if we're not careful, we talk about, hey, we got to cultivate the soil of our heart. If we're not careful, we can fall into this trap of, of shame, right? Because some of us are still dealing with cycles of immaturity in our life, cycles of sin and addiction. And yeah, I want to tell you that God is still sowing the life of the kingdom in, in you. Yeah, and you've been trying, you've been trying, you've been trying. I promise you, you're going to get free. I promise you, you are a son and a daughter and you are welcomed in the kingdom of God and that God's relationship with you is defined not by scarcity, is defined by generosity. Yes. Sows the seed with generosity. I got to hurry this message up. In conclusion, there are four types of soil. Remember, the whole point of this parable is this is all about the proper cultivation of the life of the kingdom of God and the condition of your heart. 
Jesus is looking for receptivity. He's looking for a willingness. He's looking for people who are going to lean in. He's looking for people who yeah, are, are willing to say, okay, God, yeah, things don't always make sense, but I'm going to follow you. And yet at the same time, Jesus is planting the kingdom of God in the soil of every kind of person. So we come to the four types of soil. What are these what are, what, what, what are the kinds of person that Jesus is talking about? He's certainly not exhaustive, but he's just representing certain types of soil that we all have to deal with. Number one, it's the path. It's the hard soil. What do you have to do with hard soil? If you're a farmer like me, what do you have to do? Get a big old John Deere tractor. Break it up. Right? Funny story. Um, uh, Shane and I were talking about this. this a friend of mine grew up in, in elementary school and high school with him. His name was Nick Forsey, great athlete. Um, I think he went to Linfield, played football, all-state football player, running back. But he was about as far away from the Lord as possible. He's a good friend of mine. I mean, we, I, I prayed for him, talked to him about Jesus. But this, this young man wanted nothing to do with the kingdom of God, right? Uh, if you could think of someone who just is as far away as possible, this is Nick Forsey. Anyways, he goes to Linfield. He, he experiences crisis in his life. I don't remember what the crisis was. I remember he came back ex post facto and he told me his whole story, what happened. He's in a cafeteria and uh, he's asking God, God, please speak to me. He's feeling dirty and shamed. God has brought him. He doesn't realize this, but God has brought him into a, into a crisis moment. Uh, a young man happens as Nick is asking for God to speak to him. A young, a young man gets on top of a cafeteria table and says, hey, I just want to let you know that there's someone out there that you're asking God to show himself to you. And I just want to say, I'm here and I want to pray with you. God has put that on my heart. In that moment, in that moment, he changed. He, he told me he felt like all the dirt and the grime in his soul just got cleaned up. He said he had never felt so clean in his life. He's like, I feel so pure. He came back. He hung out with Shane and I. We went downtown. I mean, he challenged my faith. We were witnessing to everybody. I'm like, Nick, you, you crazy, right? I mean, we're getting stuff thrown at us. I'm like, Nick, you go ahead. I'll go home. I'll pray for you, right? He ends up going to Africa and he became a missionary. So God can break up hard hearts. Do you have a hard heart today? That's all right. God can break it up. Someone asked me, uh, sent me a text a couple weeks ago, said, hey, Chris, why, how did you know that you were called into ministry? And I wasn't able to answer the question, so I'm going to answer the question right now. I, I would say first, it's, of course, the grace of God. Second, my parents are absolutely incredible. Um, third, I had a spiritual encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed the entire trajectory of my life. I was going to play basketball. I was going to get involved in politics. God changed me in a moment. But if I had to say the number one reason that I'm in ministry today is when I was 17 years old, I went to a doctor. Something was wrong. Something fell off. The room was spinning. I do a fasting blood test. The doctor came back three days later and said, Chris, you are a type 1 diabetic. In that moment... My life changed, and this is crazy, because this is how good God is. I was going this way. I wasn't going to be in ministry. I didn't want to preach the Bible. I didn't want to get up in front of people every single Sunday. My God, right? 
I wanted to do something else. I was a hard-hearted person. And it was within this diagnosis that God began to break up my heart. I began to draw closer to Jesus. And he began to speak to me, Chris, I know you don't want it, but you're one day you're going to lead this church and you're going to preach the Bible to people and you're going to love it. It was type 1 diabetes. Let me say this. God did not give me type 1 diabetes. And I also believe and I'm contending for healing in my body. I believe God can heal me. But let me add some nuance to our theology. God redemptively used type 1 diabetes to get my attention to break up the hardness in my heart so then I could open up my life to what God had for me. I am here because of that diagnosis and the grace of God and how God redemptively used it to bring me closer to Jesus. So God sows on hard hearts. And he works in, in some of the most unusual ways. Two, you have the rocky soil, as I, as I close. The rocky soil is shallow, right? There's no depth, there's no quality. Uh, these are people that follow Jesus until, fill, the, fill in the blank, there's persecution, until they come up against um, culture. Uh, they're at cross purposes with culture and, and uh, the life of, of this world. These are people that are spiritual greed. They're, they're spiritually greedy for encounters with Jesus without obedience and without sacrifice. I believe that everyone in this room should have a spiritual encounter with Christ. Can I get it? Amen. We want to make it hard for people in this church not to encounter the living, saving, breathing presence of Jesus. Can I get an amen? But we also want to make it hard for us not just to have encounters or just, excuse me, just to have encounters without sacrifice and obedience. The shallow people are those who want to encounter Christ, but they do not want to follow him and give up certain things. The third soil is the, so the thorny soil. It chokes the life of the kingdom of God in us. That word choke is a violent term. It's graphic. It means to strangle, drown. Isn't it funny how the kingdom of God can be drowned by the condition of our hearts? Oh my gosh. Thank, thank God that he's gracious and that he can work through the complexities of, of the hardness of our heart, or the thorniness of our heart, excuse me. But Jesus offers a triad. He says, it's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the cares of this world. It's a lust for other things that leads to absolute spiritual barrenness. Let me just make this point really quick. Jesus highlights the deceitfulness of riches. Here's the thing. When you make money and you make success the ultimate good of your life, it will lead only to spiritual desperation. Do we believe that Money can be used and resources can be used for the kingdom of God in a faithful way. Absolutely. We are called to steward the kingdom of God with our resources and our money. And I think some of you God is called to make here in this room tons of money and you are called to direct it to the kingdom of God, right? But how do you, how do you evaluate whether you trust God by how you manage your stuff, by how you live a generous life? Some of you are thinking, oh, what, what's for lunch today? Don't think that. Just listen. This isn't a rebuke. This is just a pastoral thought based on Jesus. If you have a problem with this, take it up with the Lord. So let me say this as I close. 
you will not become more generous with more money. In the words of, of one pastor, he says this, you are as generous as you are going to be right now. That's thorny soil. It's when we allow money and success to define us over and against our identity with Christ and the call of God on our life. Finally, good soil. What is the good soil? It's those who are willing, as I mentioned so many times before, those who are willing to lean in, those who accept the words of Jesus, to put into practice his words. So that as, as we put into practice the revelation that he gives us, it begins the kingdom of God, begins to take root. It, it is planted in the depth of our hearts. Even though there's confusion, even though there's persecution, even though there's suffering, we choose to stay with God to seek him out rather than withdrawing. That's the kind of person, guys, I want to be this fall. I want to lean in. I want us as a community to lean in to the purposes of God. I believe God has greater things in store for us as a community. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.